A dog that doesn't understand, once bitten twice shy, Heska wants a date, and the return of Hamburger Thyrotoxicosis. Welcome back to Off-Label Veterinary News, your source for commentary on animals, medicine, and practice life. If this is your first time, please do me a favor and support this channel by hitting that subscribe button. Let's jump in to some of the stories you might have missed. In the latest edition of the Indian Veterinary Journal, a case study of a Doberman who was bitten twice in a very short period of time by a highly venomous snake was reported. A Doberman pincher was presented to the teaching hospital with the chief complaint of being bitten by a cobra in the jaw. Yes, I bet you've never seen that one before. Anyway, the dog was given an antivenom, a tetanus toxoid, antibiotics, and fluids, and within two or three days, he was fully recovered and sent back home. Three days later, it gets more interesting because the dog returns to the teaching hospital after being bitten a second time, this time by a Russell's Viper. Once again, he was treated with antivenom, antibiotics, supportive therapy, and after five days of hospitalization, he was recovering and returned home. And so far, there were no further reports of this dog being bitten by a venomous viper. Of course, you never know, the third time could be the strikeout. This case presentation is important because it proved that a dog could successfully survive with treatment two consecutive envenomization episodes. There are four major venomous snakes in India that cause a multitude of deaths and injuries each year. Of course, those four are the spectacled cobra that we all know and love from the movies, the Russell's viper, which was the second snake to bite this particular Doberman, the saw-scaled viper, and of course, the common crate. Now, all of these are deadly, but with proper anti-venom treatment, they can survive. So what do you think, off-labels? Have you ever seen a viper or a cobra snake bite? I wanna hear from you. 2018 has seen a flurry of mergers, acquisitions, licensing, partnerships, all within the veterinary industry to help us provide better care. And this week, Heska Diagnostics of Colorado announced that it is partnering with a human, primarily human diagnostic company, Embio, to license their patented technology. Now, if you're not familiar with Embio, they're a fantastically innovative company. They've got a cartridge-based system that allows them to test very rapidly in the field, in your clinic, uh, in under 20 minutes, a wide variety of molecules. You've got small molecules, nucleic acids, proteins, I mean, you name it. And they've actually done some pretty interesting work on the human side, and they're about to bring it to the veterinary side. Now, they've got tests for tuberculosis, for HIV. They can measure uh, CD4 levels in HIV patients. They can measure toxins in water. They can measure antibiotic residues in foods. But most importantly, they've got a pretty cool C-reactive protein test for dogs, which is what I think that Heska really wants to lean into initially. So once again, Heska is priming itself to merge or be acquired or to acquire someone else, much like Abaxis. So I wanna hear from you, what do you think? How much longer will Hesco remain independent? These kind of moves just shore up their offerings and allow them to be very competitive moving forward. Of course, we're talking competing with IDEX and Abaxis now. So what do you think, off-labelers? Are you as excited about this M-Bio technology coming into the veterinary space as I am? I wanna hear from you. In 1987, in Minnesota and South Dakota, over 121 people were diagnosed with something they were calling hamburger thyrotoxicosis. 
In simplest terms, they had been consuming hamburger meat that contained the thyroid glands from the gullets of cattle. This resulted in hyperthyroidism in these patients, and of course, the USDA outlawed this procedure moving forward. But yet, thyroid toxicosis and elevated thyroid levels keep popping up in pet foods. And once again this week, we've seen another potential elevated thyroid levels appear in pet foods. Merrick has had to recall certain lots of its backcountry and good buddy treats because of potentially elevated thyroid levels. Now, this recall is similar to the March 2018 recall of Milo's treats, Blue Buffalo, and even some of the wellness foods. All of them, again, containing tainted beef. So off-labelers, what does this tell us about the pet food manufacturing processes that we keep seeing these types of adulterated meats popping up in our pet foods? Obviously, this year, the biggest news we've had so far was the pentobarbital recall, but now we continue to see these little drip, drip, drip of other toxicants and contaminants and potentially harmful compounds in our own pet foods. I think that we need to be very sensitive to these types of things. It tells me that when we look at these slaughterhouses and the way that meat is being made for pet foods, it's probably not being as carefully done as possible. I am grateful right now for the FDA for catching this, but remember this, all of these recalls were precipitated after illness. Yes, you heard that right. This latest Merrick's recall only happened after a dog got sick, they reported, a veterinarian reported further up the chain, bomb, bomb, bomb. What do you know, there's a recall. So that does worry me a little bit. The systems are in place, we need to do better. What do you think off-labelers? What do you think about the current state of the safety of pet food and what could be done to further enhance the safety and well-being of the pets that we love and cherish? I wanna hear from you. Well, that's it for another edition of Off-Label Veterinary News. If you like content like this, be sure to hit that subscribe button and ding the notification bell so you'll be alerted as soon as content like this drops on your internet doorstep. Until next time, keep living that off-label life. Bye.